In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Over the last few weeks, we've had lessons on discipleship. We've had lessons on stewardship. We've learned somewhat the cost of being a disciple. We've discovered that when something is lost and we find it, we should rejoice. We know that there is an urgency. There's an urgency of action. We learned that from the crafty steward. We've heard of compassion, false formulas. We've heard of the danger of possessions. We've heard the parables just like the disciples did. And here we have this morning another one. Imagine just a tiny bit of faith. A tiny bit of faith is possible, makes possible great strength. A faith as small as a mustard seed, which is almost microscopic. Some of us remember the little charms that girls used to wear around their necks, little glass balls with a little mustard seed in it to remind us of that. I don't, you don't see those too much anymore. But the faith as small as a mustard seed made it possible to take a huge, gigantic tree and throw it miles into the sea. Now at this point, the disciples must have really been disheartened. Mentally and physically drained after hearing all of the expectations that were laid upon them in discipleship and stewardship. They were worn down. And at this point, probably so are we. It seems like this is an impossible task to follow Jesus. An impossible task to have faith. We, as well as the disciples, have heard Jesus talk about forgiveness, about stewardship, about trust. And the enormity of the expectations is hitting home. And is it, it is at this point that the disciples cry out. They interrupt Jesus and say, Jesus, increase our faith. So what does Jesus do? He tells them another parable. And in so doing, he puts the question on the table. How much faith must we have? You see, the disciples think about faith as a commodity, something that's capable of precise measurement, something that they perceive in themselves to be lacking. Increase our faith, Jesus. They think in terms of measures of faith, large amounts of faith, small amounts of faith, and they see themselves possessing the former. They ask that their faith be increased so that they can, in essence, 
Measure up. Measure up to the expectations. So exactly how much faith is enough? Jesus tells this parable of of the slave who's out in the field working and toiling all day. And he's tired, but he comes in and he prepares and serves dinner. The question is, how much do you expect from the servant? Now, this is a a question that has been present in the church for, for centuries. A question that was significant at the time of the Protestant Reformation. You see, the the Roman Catholic Church had this idea of, and here's a a word for you, a word of the day, supererogation, which simply meant that you were expected to do more than you were required. You were required to be, if you will, extra holy in your works and in your deeds. Now, this concept didn't play well with the Protestant reformers including those early leaders of the English church. And if I could use an example here just to to bring this concept home, I'd like to. And I'd like to use supererogation. I actually said that twice without tripping over my own tongue. To bring supererogation down onto the domestic or onto the household level. The example I'd like to use is of husbands. When husbands help around the house, when they vacuum, when they fold clothes, when they empty the dishwasher or or wash windows, they expect some kind of recognition. Men want their wives to notice. They want their wives to comment, and they want their wives to compliment. Now, I'm going to ask the men... And don't you dare look at your wives. Isn't that true? Well, Jesus talks about this same theme in this parable. The slave cooks after a hard day. Is the slave to be recognized? Nobody's readily answering or raising their hand. Well, as for us, If we love God and we serve God, if we love our neighbor and we serve our neighbor, if we do not lead others to sin, if we forgive the sin of others, haven't we done what we were expected to do? What we were supposed to do? What we were commanded to do? This concept of supererogation was important in the faith in the early 1400s and 1500s. But the English church from which we descend thought it to be arrogant and impious. You see, the early English churchmen believed that we could never put God into our debt. We could never do so much that he would be indebted to us or that we would have any claim upon him. 
And when it came time for the English church to reduce to writing that which they believed, when it came time for the English church to specify what set it apart from others, they did so by publishing 39 articles called the Articles of Religion. And they're found in the prayer book in the pew in front of you. On page 870, in the middle of the page, there is Article 14, which states the English church's position on supererogation. And basically, in summation, they end with the very quote that we heard Deacon Beth read in the gospel reading this morning. When you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. So often, our prayer book quotes the Bible. My brothers and sisters, when we have done our best, when we've done our best, we have only done our duty. We don't have any unrealistic bar to reach. The bar is not set high, unrealistically. All we have to do, just as this beautiful, right one Eucharistic prayer says, is all we have to do is our bounden duty and service. It's not. It's not about the quantity of faith. It is the genuineness of faith that matters. The duties of a Christian servant are to be performed humbly and without expectation of commendation. And the power to do that, the power to do that, my brothers and sisters, doesn't come from within ourselves. It's not our own innate abilities, but it is the power that comes from our absolute reliance on God alone that allows us to do that. This reliance, this trust, is faith. It is not so much, you see, what humans do or what humans don't do, but rather what the limitless power of God accomplishes in people. What the limitless power of God accomplishes within us. grace and grace my brothers and sisters is an invitation from God and faith our trust in him is the response to that invitation faith means being grasped by a power that is greater than we are Something that shakes us up, turns us around, transforms us, and heals us. Faith is not about believing in a certain set of principles or claims about God. Genuine faith, you see, presumes a relationship with God. And it implies a radical trust in him. Faithfulness is one's relationship with God. 
a way of seeing the world, a way of seeing the world as life-giving and nourishing rather than seeing it as hostile and threatening. What Jesus tells the disciples, and he tells us because we're just like them, what he tells the disciples is that we have all the faith that we need. We have all the faith that we need to move the world. We don't, know, we don't need tree-throwing faith. We don't need mountain-moving faith. We don't need to be spiritual superheroes. All we need to do is be faithful and in relationship with God. Be faithful in the little bit of faith that we have. In a few moments, you'll come to this communion rail, and you'll kneel. Be encouraged as you receive the holy sacrament, Christ's body and blood. Be encouraged that you have enough faith to be faithful. You have enough faith to be obedient. This, my brothers and sisters, is your bounden duty and service. You have enough faith to turn to Christ and to receive his grace. You have enough faith to do God's will in this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.